Well, good morning. Welcome to church. It's great to have you here with us again. And we are in week two of Jonah. We're spending a, a few weeks in the book of Jonah and we're looking at uh, the incredible grace and mercy of God. And, and last week we talked about this idea of Jonah um, running from his life rather than running for his life. Um, Jonah is a big story, uh, full of big characters, uh, full of wit and humour and uh, incredible things that we should be um, learning about the depths of God's grace. And, and this morning is going to be no different. We're going to be looking at the depths of God's grace, um, figuratively and quite literally, um, of how God pursues Jonah um, and how God never gives up on Jonah. So we're going to read, uh, I'm going to read a slab from Jonah 1, verses 4 to 17. So if you've got your Bibles um, with you, otherwise follow along on the screen. It says this, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel, had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot signaled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for this incredible story of your grace. And uh, God, we thank you for your spirit that's alive and uh, ready to speak to us this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to hear your voice. Help us to be challenged, help us to be encouraged, help us to pursue you like you have called us to, and help us to, to live out the purpose you have for our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. don't know if you can relate to this. If you've ever been driving somewhere, maybe um, on a trip to, to Melbourne, although you probably wouldn't want to go there at the moment, um, and you've been driving and you've been in the car for a couple of hours and you think back over the last couple of hours and you think, I can't remember a moment of the drive. I've just been driving and it's like I'm on autopilot. Like I haven't been on autopilot. Like I've been in charge of the vehicle, but I 
just have been totally zoned out of what has been going on that I can't remember. I can't remember what's, um, what's happened. Or you've gone through a day and you, just, you think back at the end of the day, what did I do today? I don't remember. I just was in a, in a zone where I was mindless in my activity. You sort of, you look awake, you are awake, but really your mind's not active or you're not fully aware of what's going on. I do this all the time with, um, with locking things and unlocking things, with my keys especially. I'm forever forgetting if I've locked the car or not locked the car. Alana is always reminding me, did you lock the car today? I'm, I'm just like, um, I'm not sure. Let me go check and sure enough I'll go out and the, the doors open, the keys in ignition and I've just walked inside and completely left the car to, to be taken. Or the house, the same thing. Did I lock the house? I don't remember. It's just one of those things that sometimes you do, or hopefully always you do, that um, you'd, I, I'm never aware of where, when, I'm, when I'm doing it or when I'm not. I think um, Jonah has got himself into this point where he's on autopilot, where he's drifted into this literal sleep, but also uh, a spiritual slumber. And I think we can do this as well in our walk with God. We can look alive, but we're not really living. We can get to a point in our walk with Jesus where we're in this slumber. We're in this slump. We are um, apathetic, perhaps, or just unaware of where God is and what he's up to. And we're just sort of going through the motions. And we look back over the last weeks or months or years and think, what's happened? Where am I? How did I get here? How did I get to this point in my life? It's like I've been asleep. And I think this um, chapter is all about this idea of being asleep or awake, being aware or unaware. Are we asleep at the wheel? Are we sleepwalking? How do we get to where we are? Jonah gets to where he is, asleep in the bottom of the depths of the boat by small decision after small decision after countless compromises, a downward decision-making spiral into this deep sleep. Jonah is a man who's fallen asleep spiritually. His decisions uh, not to engage with the mission of God have caused him to not be aware of where he is or what is going on around him. If you remember from last week, I'm going to quickly go verse by verse through, through, the, um, through part of this story. At, this, at the very start of chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And we talked about last week how Jonah means dove or puritis and uh, Amittai means faithfulness. So you've got this pure son of uh, faithfulness and a story about a prophet. And of course, Jonah's anything but faithful in the story. It goes on in verse 2 and 3, um, the, the command from God, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come before me. And so Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And remember, Tarshish was as far to the west as you could get. It's like on the edge of the known world. It's like, you're calling me to go east to, to Nineveh, I'm going as far west as I can to Tarshish. He paid the fare. Sorry, sorry. before that, he went down to Joppa, or some would say he went south to Joppa. We'll get to that, um, that important statement. Uh, he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it, into the ship, um, and got um, to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So Jonah gets the, the command. He heads off in the opposite direction. He goes to, to Joppa, um, and he goes down into the boat. And this is where we get to in verse 4. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So here, um, as soon as 
Jonah begins his journey away from God. God is trying to get Jonah's attention. Straight away, he's trying to wake Jonah up out of this spiritual sleep and, and throw what he can to, to, get, um, to make Jonah aware of what's going on, where he is. It doesn't help, though, to start with. It literally says here, um, uh, the translation doesn't do it justice, but it says the ship threatened to break apart. It's sort of like the ship is uh, a person in this story. It's sort of given this animated ability to think and ponder, should I break apart or should I stay together? What will I do? And it, and it just goes to show this story, this animated, um, comical story that Jonah is. It's just over the top in so many different ways. Verse 5 goes on and says, The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, where's Jonah? He's gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and has stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So here we've got the sailors. And are the sailors asleep? No, of course not. They are wide awake, fully aware of this life-threatening storm that is bombarding their ship. All the while, Jonah is down at the bottom lowest part of the boat in a deep, deep sleep, completely unaware of what is happening. And the sailors, these pagan sailors, start praying to their gods. Everyone on the ship is praying except the prophet of God. It's just this ironic story of this messenger of God, this follower of God who's anything but a follower of God. The sailors can sense somehow that this is a divine storm. There's some sort of religious element to this. And so they start praying to any god that they can think of. All the gods that they know, they, they're shouting out to, to each and every one of them, hoping that one of them will um, stop the storm. They throw the cargo overboard. They're in a desperate situation. The cargo is most likely their livelihood. It's probably why they're on the ship to Tarshish to begin with. They're probably transporting something. And so they throw all the cargo overboard. They're desperate at this point, giving up their livelihood. And all this time, Jonah is asleep. And how does he get there? He gets there through these um, countless compromises, these downward decisions, like right from the start. Um, he gets the instruction. You look in verse uh, 3, you start to see this language. It's just sort of repetitive. It says he went down to Joppa. He went south to Joppa to find um, a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into the boat. And in verse 5, it says, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So this downward, downward, downward trend. And the author is very intentional about all this language. And it doesn't even end there. We look in the next chapter. It, he goes down even further. It goes down into the water, down into the belly of the fish. It just keeps going down, down, down. Jonah has gone through a series of compromises leading him down to a path of this apathy and spiritual slumber. He's so unaware of what is happening that he is sleeping through a life-threatening storm. Now, I don't know about you, I can be a deep sleeper, but I don't know if I could ever sleep through a life-threatening storm. Just this week, we moved our youngest son, Judah, from a cot to this toddler bed because he... Uh, Every night was climbing out of his cot. He was undoing his like sleeping bag that he sleeps in and climbing out, climbing back in, climbing into Harrison's bed, wandering around the house. And so we said, well, and, and once this week he fell out of the cot when he was climbing and landed on his face. And we thought, well, that's enough. Let's put him in a toddler bed. 
And so uh, this week he spent his first night in the toddler bed and we're watching him on the monitor and he's getting in and out and doing all the things. And at one point through the night, I go in and check on the boys and um, I walk into the room and I trip over something. And I think, oh, what's that on the ground? I don't remember leaving anything there. And sure enough, it's Judah, our youngest. He's fallen out of bed and he's asleep on the floor, basically half under Harrison's bed. And I look back and our baby monitor sort of records the last little while and I look back at what happened and sure enough, he's asleep, fallen out of bed, hit the ground and stayed asleep and just kept on sleeping. You know, you have those moments where you fall asleep and you can't wake up and I think especially for young children that can be the case when they fall asleep, you can shout at them and they'll just keep sleeping. Jonah's sort of in this position where he's in such a deep sleep where a a life-threatening storm is right there in his midst and he's still asleep, sloshing around in the bottom of the boat and he's still asleep, so asleep that the captain of the ship has to go down to wake him up. Jonah's sin of running from God and running from God's plan, of thinking he knows better than God, causes him to fall into this deep spiritual slumber. And this is what our sin does. When we run away from God or when we are given instructions by God or or given commands by God and we turn our back and say, I know better for my life. I know what the good life is. I know what I should be doing. It makes us uh, asleep to the things of God, unaware of where we are spiritually. It causes us to be numb to the things of God. But it's ridiculous because... This storm is threatening to kill people. And this is a picture, again, of sin in our life. When we're spiritually unaware, when we are in the depths of um, our spiritual apathy, it's not just us that it affects, but it affects everyone around us as well. You know, we love to justify what we do and how we live by saying things like, it's just my life that it affects. I'll I'll choose whatever it is that I want to do because it's my life and it only affects me. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Whatever makes you happy, go for that. Your decisions only affect you. And this is the culture in which we live. It's deeply entrenched in our culture. That your decisions only affect you and you should do whatever's right in your own eyes and it doesn't matter because it's, it, it won't hurt anybody else. Where, of course, we know that our lives are so much more intertwined than that. Life is so much more complex than just one decision affecting one person. And whenever it is that we don't follow God in the ways that we should, it doesn't just affect us. It causes pain, it causes um, things to happen in other people's lives as well. And here we see, in a dramatic sense, this happening in Jonah's life. Jonah's decisions don't just affect him, but they are threatening the lives of those around him. When we live a life of countless compromises, thinking we know best, and living in obedience to God, not only do we miss the life that God has for us, but others miss it as well, and others are affected by it as well. So Jonah's in this deep sleep in verse 5. Verse 6, it goes on, the captain approached him and says, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he'll hear us. Maybe he'll stop this storm. So the pagan captain of the ship, who's already prayed to his God, goes and wakes up Jonah, who hasn't prayed yet. We've tried all we know. We've prayed to all the gods we can think of. We've thrown everything overboard and still nothing. And here the pagan 
um, sailors have to remind the messenger, the prophet of God, to pray. It's like the, the one that should be praying isn't praying and the ones that don't know how to pray have to remind the person who does pray, that's his job, to do his job, to pray, to follow Jesus and to follow God in the way that he should. It's just a, it's just a comedy, the book. In verse 7 it goes on, Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots, then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and it went on Jonah. Then they ask him all these questions and he gives them this answer. You know, this idea of casting lots, it's like rolling the dice. It's, just, it's a way that they discerned um, what was happening. You know, throw the dice, whose, whose number comes up? Okay, you have the answer or it must be you. And then Jonah gets bombarded with these questions like, who are you? What are you doing? What's your job? What's your business? What country are you from? Um, what are you doing here? Where are you going? And this is maybe the funniest line in the, in the story so far. Listen to his answer. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. I worship God. I worship Yahweh, who made the sea, the one that I'm running from on your boat. It's like, can you see the irony in what you're saying, Jonah? You're running from Yahweh, who made the sea, on a boat. What are you thinking? What do you think is going to happen? And he uses this word, I fear, or I worship. But Jonah doesn't fear God at all. The sailors are, fear, are fearing God, but it doesn't seem like Jonah fears God at all. If he really was fearful of God, he wouldn't have got onto a boat in the middle um, of the sea, knowing that God made the sea when he was running from him. But Jonah does that anyway. The sailors recognise the seriousness of the situation, but Jonah is still sort of yawning at this stage. He doesn't really know what's going on. Jonah is so hypocritical. His words don't match up with his decision. He says, I fear God, but it's like his actions aren't showing that he fears God. How often do we behave like this? How often do we live like this, where our words don't match our actions? Where we say something with our mouth, we sing something perhaps with our mouth, but it doesn't always translate into our life surely not me surely not you but as we read this book we see it as just uh, a really challenging mirror of who we are too often how often we live with a contradiction between what we say what we sing what we pray and what we do it happens all the time verse 10 goes on the men were seized by a great fear and they said to him, what have you done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So the, the sailors are fearing God. What have you done? And it's often this way, that people outside of faith, people who don't follow God, can see so clearly the contradiction between what we say and what we do. If there's one thing that non-Christians or people who don't follow God often will say and see in Christians is that we're hypocrites, that we say one thing but we do another. We say that we're for justice but we don't live justly. Just, we don't live with justice. We say we love people, we don't live with love. We say we want to give grace but we don't give grace. We, we do this all the time. 
But you know the wonderful thing about God's grace is this, that God is not limited by Jonah's horrible witness to God. That God still uses this hypocritical prophet to draw the sailors to himself, to win the sailors over. Verse 11, so they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. And at this point you might think, well, Jonah's finally turned a corner, he's repenting. And I think you could either look at this statement as a, as a selfless statement or a selfish statement. A moment of repentance or a moment of him completely saying, well, I mean, the only way to get away from what God wants me to do is to, to die. If I get thrown into the ocean, then that's it. I, got, I can't do what God wants me to do then. And which is it? The author of the book doesn't really give us a clue as to what the motive is here for Jonah's decision to be thrown into the sea. And I don't really think it's the point to give us the the answer to that, but rather to draw us to the attention that our heart's motives are so complex. Who can really understand the motive of someone? Only God can. Most of the time, if we're really honest, we can't even determine the motives of our own heart, let alone someone else's heart. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we love the people that we love? Why do we spend the time on the things that we spend time on? Why do we spend our money on the things we spend money on? The motives of our heart are so complex. And the motive of what Jonah's doing here, I think, is complex as well. It's not as simple as what we would like things to be all the time. You know, if you're anything like me, sometimes it's easy to to judge people quickly and say, well, I know what their motive is. I know what the motive of their heart must be. But I think the challenge is to say, look again. What could the motive be? It's hard to discern. It's not as easy or as, as simple as we might always think. Motives are complicated things. Our own motives are complicated things. So it says in verse 14, they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. And so the first prayer to Yahweh in the story comes from who, Jonah? No, it comes from the sailors. And they say, don't charge us with this innocent blood. Like this innocent man, Jonah, of course we know, he's not anything but innocent. He's not doing the right thing. He's not where he's supposed to be. So then they picked up Jonah in verse 15. They threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So Jonah says that he fears and worships God, but the sailors actually fear and worship God. Through this tragic compromise of Jonah, through the hypocrisy of Jonah, the sailors turn their hearts to God. And so what do we learn from this part of the story? Well, maybe you, you hear this part of the story and you think, well, does that mean I can just live with whatever sin I want and God will use it anyway? And So it doesn't matter how I live. I can just do whatever I want, run away from God, and God will still use it to draw people to himself. And if that's the lesson you learn, then that's a tragedy in itself because that's not the point of the story. That's not the point. Instead, the point is that we discover the depths of God's grace, literally and figuratively, where we have countless compromises and downward decision-making, God's grace follows us 
to the depths of where we find ourselves. The depths of our failure are the perfect environment to encounter God's grace. The depths of our slumber is the perfect place to be woken fully to the power and presence of God. And so maybe today you find yourself in this um, spiritual slumber, sort of deep in autopilot, wondering where your passion has gone, wondering how or if you'll ever wake up to the things of God again. And the encouragement maybe challenges this, that God's grace finds you there, beckoning you to wake up. Not just to look alive, but to live. And the hope is this, that we can turn to the God of land and sea, the one who can calm the storm and save the boat that we found ourselves in. We can turn to him, we can call out, we can pray to him. We can fear him, we can worship him, we can follow him. There's no condemnation if you're in this space. There is mercy, there's no disappointment from God's part. There is hope. If God can use a faithless, disobedient prophet, he can use you and me. Wherever you find yourself this morning, today, whenever you're listening to this, wherever you find yourself, know this, that God is right there with you. He's right there in the depths of your life, beckoning you back, calling you back towards himself, hoping that you'll see the love that he has for you and the purpose that he has for your life. He is for you. He's not against you. And he has a big plan and a big future in store for you. He wants to use you for his purpose. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can listen to it. We can be changed by it. And God, this morning I pray for those people that feel distant from you through their own decision making. Maybe feel like they're asleep in their spiritual walk. Maybe feel like they're in a place of apathy and unaware of where you are or who you are even. God, I pray this morning that people might be woken up by your grace. They might be woken up by your love and your pursuit of them. That they could see you, that they could call out to you in the depths of their sleep and be awake to the things of you. And God, I thank you that as we do that, we see that it not only affects us and gives us a full life, but it gives those around us such a fuller life as well. And so God, help us to live for you and to live for other people. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I pray this has been encouraging for you and that you have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.